Hey, welcome to the Northeast Hunt and Film Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Alex. Here you'll find hunting stories and strategies based mainly out of the Northeast, but we'll also include hunts from all around the country. If you can hunt it and you can film it, chances are we're going to talk about it on here. Enjoy. Welcome everybody back with another episode of Northeast Hunt and Film. Join this week with Jeremy Ballantyne. Jeremy's kind of a local legend in the area. Guy kills some some really big bucks and he's got a uh, YouTube channel, In Pursuit 365. You can also find him on Instagram there. So this podcast we get into uh, we recorded it. He was just off of his um, elk hunt in Colorado. I uh, didn't have any success this year, but we talk a little bit about that. Since this is coming out, you know, right ahead of scrape week, end of October, things are starting to get good. So we cover some late October calling strategies, um, hunting scrapes, strategies for en- entering and exiting your stand locations so you can be as less impactful as possible Uh, we discussed thermals um, having a lot of backup plans because things change how doing your homework is king scouting is king Uh, dressing properly for longer sits you know you basically got to go in freezing your butt off and then get dressed at your tree so you don't work up a sweat hunting new spots and how it's important to be super aggressive in new spots you can learn them quicker rather than being cautious and have it take two three more years than it should to learn a spot uh we get into some shed hunting we get into some tracking get into some buck stories this is one of those where you get your get your pad and paper out because there's a lot to be learned from it my proof is in the deer he's a very good hunter and um you can definitely learn a lot from him. So like I said, we're getting into late October. Things are starting to get starting to get good. Massachusetts, or my zone in Massachusetts, is open now. It opened on the 18th. I'm recording this on the 22nd. Um, so I'm getting out there tomorrow, Saturday, after work. Got a good, good buck in the piece of woods that I checked the camera last week. And he was close to daylight. But I also saw two cell cams in there, so I think I got some company. But that's okay. Uh, I'm going to go slip in, and I got two cameras in there, and I'm going to check and see what the activity looks like. I think, honestly, if it's still if it's still nighttime activity, um, I might back out. I might just do some scouting. Uh, I just don't want to screw things up when it's going to be really good the weekend after so yeah excited for that um and then sunday will be my last bow hunt in new hampshire because the following saturday um i'll more than likely be in massachusetts but the following saturday uh, muzzleloader opens and yeah no sense in carrying a bow when you can carry a gun as far as i'm concerned but i'll still be bow hunting mass on saturdays and gun in new hampshire on sundays unless i tag out then i'll have to pick the bow back up until i can go to vermont i guess 
no plans on shotgunning shotgun hunting mass i don't have a slug barrel for my gun and just yeah i'll stick to the bow down there but um so before before we jump into this podcast with jeremy um kind of a a heavier note the community around here uh lost a a good person actually it was the 18th the day mass opened uh craig mcculloch he uh I've known him my whole life. I I was best friends with his son uh growing up in in grade school and stuff and uh w- we kind of went to different schools after and uh I'd see Craig around and um we have some mutual friends and stuff but uh Craig was a really great hunter. He worked for Bowtech. He went out and hunted uh elk in Colorado and whitetails in the midwest and more importantly he was a a father a husband and a friend the community around here is really devastated with the with the loss of a of a good dude so i think uh we as hunters are kind of closer than than we are apart we're more of a community um even when you don't know one another it's it's easy to to you know stand with each other because we share a a similar passion so whether you knew craig or not um i'd like you to join me in a moment of silence and remember craig's life and then we'll we'll jump into the podcast here Thank you. All right, we're live. Another episode of the Northeast Hunt and Film Podcast, sitting in Jeremy Valentine's house, fresh back from Colorado. Yeah, I feel like I could run over the mountains back here. Uh, we had a good year out there, just uh, just couldn't seem to make it happen, but we got to play the game a few times. Uh, really warm warm temperatures and uh, had a lot stacked against us Um, warm temperatures and the beetle kill had killed thousands of acres of timber out there so there was limited dark timber to deal with it was a good trip Um, I I just got to find a different area I think you know the elk are kind of getting thin in that area with the timber dying off yeah now what tree are they spruce the all the softwood all I don't know if it's spruce or if it's you know, lodgepole pine or what it is, but yep. I think it's all spruce, yeah. but it's all dead standing thousands of acres. So pretty so sad. a little more aggressive than the ash borer that we got. Yeah. They say it takes like two to four weeks to kill a tree Jeez. once the beetles get on them. So made it a little bit tougher for us. And, uh, you know, but we, we still were able to find elk. There's a lot of pressure, you know, it's, it's 6% success rate to kill an elk in Colorado. So I'm still around 80%, so I'm, but, uh, we got to one, one really good morning. We got to play the game. Uh, we had a destination in mind. There was this lake that was probably about two miles back 
the key to elk and especially when it's warm like that's finding water so we're we're headed back to hunt this lake and it was just cracking daylight we're about a half mile three quarters from the truck and this bull bugled off and he cracked off kind of below us and at that point the thermals were still cutting down and uh we were trying to get it so we could have the thermals correct, but we had to drop down off the hill. And just the way it was happening, we didn't have time to do it. And he bugled again. He was like 100, 125 yards away. So we had to set up with kind of a crosswind. And so I scooted back 60, 70 yards behind my buddy because he was, he was going to be the first shooter. I got 60, 70 yards behind him and cracked off a bugle. And that bull answered and was on his way. And it was just minutes I could hear him walk in and then I then I caught a glimpse of antler and he was right in front of him he had him at 25 yards just on the other side of a blowdown scream and just couldn't get an arrow to him and after he had four or five cows with him and they kind of milled up the hill and we're cutting the wind really tight as it was with the thermals and one of the cows got downwind got our wind and boogered the whole group there were probably five six elk in the total group but it was a really nice five by and uh so we were kind of bummed out, but it was fun to play the game. I mean, just to have one screaming at you in the timber is what we do it for. And uh, we headed up the hill, and there was another basin that I wanted to check out that had a ton of water. And uh, headed up that way, and we're almost dropping down into that basin, and the thermals are still cutting down. So I wanted to stay as low in that basin and kind of work my way up into the top of it. And Colin, Colin, hadn't heard a bugle and walked right onto a beautiful bowl like a I don't know if he's a six point, but he was definitely a big five. And it was like 30 yards. Come around the bend in a log road, and boom, I, I, we run right into each other face to face. And he boogers and runs up the hill, and he's got a, he's got a raghorn with him and a couple cows. And immediately when you spook elk, you want to bugle at him or call, because if they didn't smell you, they don't know what, what's going on, you know. So uh, I bugled to him, and I heard him stop running. He didn't run hard anyways. So I bugled, bugled at him and then, you know, raked a tree a little bit. And I could hear him starting to, you know, walking and coming back. And I could see one of the cows headed my way, mewing like every five, six steps. She was, she thought we were elk as well. And uh, she walked right into like 15 yards and he's behind her, but hung back about 30. And man, I had him within 35 yards for five minutes and just could not get an arrow to him. He would chuckle and he would scream and dark timber just wicked thick and just couldn't get an arrow to him and uh the thermal stayed good he never smelled us and that other rag bull the raghorn bull that was with him didn't end up coming in close enough didn't get a real good look at him other than the initial encounter but none of the elk smelled us so i figured we were good to go got to be really warm by midday so we're like we'll come back in the next day and work these elk from a different angle and nothing that whole basin was just dead silent from there on out i don't it was full of wallows and rubs on rubs on trees the size of your leg you know i don't know where they all went but uh, that was like the how it all went the rest of the trip it was like as soon as we'd find elk they bugle a couple times and then be totally quiet we couldn't find them again um so is an elk rub like similar height to a moose rub yeah, yeah, they'll, but they'll hook on, you know, they'll, they'll rub trees anywhere from, you know, the size of a, you know, an inch in diameter all the way up to six inches, you know, same as moose, but they'll just, they'll do a lot more of them, you know, they'll, they'll bend over trees, and then there's usually a lot of rubs right around the wallows, so they'll right. leave a lot of sign. Especially when it's hot like that. Yeah, when it's hot, they're right around water, water and dark timber. 
So what is it like? Cause I've heard, you know, people struggle with it. Um, adjusting to the altitude. Couple days, couple days. And then you know what you're in for, you know, everyone kind of adjusts to it differently. Like my buddy that was with me this year, he had asthma. So yeah, a couple times we hiked up over 12,000 feet, you know, and he's like, there's no air to breathe. Yeah. Your legs still want to go, but you just can't breathe. So it just takes you that extra second to get your breath. And then do you, you hunt at a certain elevation and sleep at a lower one or? Yeah, we sleep this year. We rented a cabin and oh, okay. the, the cabin was at like 8,000 feet. So we didn't stay in a tent this year. Uh, you can get a lot better rest and the cabins are like dirt cheap. The ones that we found at the bottom of the mountain. So you're only driving, yeah, any, you're only driving 20 in a tent. Absolutely. You're driving like 25 <laughs> minutes up into the mountains to hunt. So we're, we're hunting off of spur roads and hiking mainly from the truck per day. Cause it's like, you know, three or four miles is about as far as you want to pack an elk anyways. So I try to shoot one within three, four miles of the road, especially about 12,000 feet. Yeah. You know. Yeah. There's no air. A lot of times, you know, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's, uh, there's nothing like it. It's the most exciting thing. Dude, can, I want to go. It's the so most exciting bad. thing you can bow hunt in the world. It's it's I'm, I'm such gonna, a fun game to play. I'm going to make my way out there someday. Yeah. You got to do it. The younger, the better. Yep. Yep. But so. But that gets me prepped for deer season. Yeah. 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 We're into it now. We're well, re- recording this uh, late September, but we're going to talk some. Uh, we're going to talk scrape week. Yeah. That's my favorite, that pre-rut, just starting in the very beginning of the rut. Yeah, late October, last yeah. week of October, Halloween. Yep. That's when I've shot my biggest deer with a bow. Yep. You know, by far. They're real responsive to calling, and uh, a lot of times you're shooting them standing right in a primary scrape. You know, you can kind of predict their movement. They've got some sort of a pattern. They're just starting to move quite a bit during daylight. It's a really good time of the year. You know, you catch a buck moving, you can call to him. He's, they're just super responsive. Like when it gets late into rut, they can be in that zombie mode, you know, and they're just cruising. Right. No matter what you do, you can't get them to come towards you. But during the rut, they're still got, during the pre-rut, that's, that's when they're still, they're still running a pattern that you can figure out. They're, they're right there on that fresh sign. That's what I like. Yeah. They're, they're kind of, uh, I mean, the pecking order has kind of been established, but they're, protecting it kind yeah of. this, yeah, is, my, this yeah. is my scrape they're on their feet moving in daylight yep. a lot more than ever you know uh, especially and you can predict if you're hunting over scrapes a lot of times i i have really good luck right after it rains like if you get yeah. two or three days of rain and then boom it clears right off yep. you, you want to be especially in with the like stand. a cold front yeah you want to be in the stand like right after it gets done raining it seems like they just want to be the first one. They know that scrape is all pounded down with rain. It's like the first thing they want to do is get back there and freshen that scrape. And I've killed a pile of them doing that. Uh, but the uh, that's that's the magic time of the year. So, so are you messing with like all day sits, or are you just kind of like, well, my camera tells me he's mainly showing up daylight in the mornings and or are you just kind of it seems like on scrapes i have really good luck in the morning into into like 10 11 o'clock maybe touching on that midday part and then it seems like if i shoot a buck on scrapes in the afternoon it's well before dark 
it's like I don't seem to have a lot of activity right at that dark like you would like when I'm hunting them early season uh, when they just start making scrapes or when they're still on a food pattern a lot of times you're shooting those bucks even if you're hugging the bedding area you're shooting them right at the end of closing yep it seems like those bucks are on their feet and I get a lot more good broad daylight shoot them two hours before dark you know in the afternoon so it's I, I get a lot better good a lot better daylight opportunities that that last week of october first five days of november so it's almost like like a nine to three yeah it's yeah would be it's a good really it's any you know any it's any time they could come cruising yeah. through there yeah i mean i get pictures of them at one o'clock in the afternoon sometimes working a scrape you know so it's yeah you never know it's all weather related but uh as long as it's cold and and it's that time of the year you got to spend as much time as you can in the tree but on the other hand you got to make sure you got a good clean entrance and exit you can't be burning out your good rut spots or hugging a bedding area too tight and spooking the family group of does that are in there i think i think that's really important too you know it's you can hunt aggressive during that pre-rut time but you can also hunt too aggressive and if you disturb that whole family group of does in there it's going to mess you up for later on in the rut so uh so I always try to keep that in mind. That's what makes a good stand site for me is if you don't have a clean entrance and exit where you can get in and out of there without being detected, it's not that great of a stand site. It's a one-time, one or yeah. two sits, and then you're done. The deer if, the deer will have you figured out in a couple sits if you don't have a good clean entrance and exit. Um, like one of my favorite ways to enter a stand is if I can walk a, a brook or a seep coming off the hill and I can stay in water and... Not only are you lower, you know, lower in the contour of the land, you're kind of out of sight, out of mind, working your way up that mountain, but it's nice and clear. It's kind of easier to walk that way in the dark because you, yeah. can, you can just follow the water for the majority of the way, and you're not leaving any scent, you know. Yeah, and if the wa- water's colder than the air, you yeah. pull your thermals down. All your down. thermals are getting dragged right down, yeah. So, yeah, that's a good, that's a good two cents right there. Yeah. And thermals are a thing, you know, hunting the deer that I'm hunting around real steep mountain terrain. So, uh, I think thermals are definitely underrated. You know, you can, there's one mountain in particular, I've killed several good bucks on this one funnel and it doesn't matter if that wind is calling for out of the North, out of the West, out of yeah. the East, you get on that side Hill, you are, you are dictated, but unless it's coming straight out of the South, cause it's a South facing side Hill, unless it's coming straight out of the South, you're going by thermals. So first thing in the morning until about eight o'clock, till that sun really hits that side hill, all your thermals are carrying down. As soon as that sun hits that side hill, it doesn't matter if that wind is coming at any direction, your thermals are going up the hill. Yep. And, uh, you know, you can see that by dropping milkweed, whatever, and you can see your thermals. So that's a really good stand. And a lot of times it's, well, it's a mile and a half back from the road. So I don't have any real first thing in the morning daylight activity there most of the deer are coming through there eight o'clock on so it works out perfect with the thermals i can sit there with the with that and know that those thermals are going to change gets to be eight eight o'clock eight thirty and those thermals change and start pulling my scent uphill most of those deer are not showing up until nine ten o'clock i shot a really good buck there last year and he didn't show up till 10 quarter after and thermals were cut there's no way that deer could get downwind of me because the hill's so steep and it goes up and over the hill and there's no deer sign on the backside. It just works out really good with thermals. 
in that in that particular spot. And yep. then in the afternoon, you sit on the lower side of that funnel, and the the thermals are just dragging down off that mountain like hard. And uh, as long as you get the deer above you, you're good. And the the hill's so steep, even if the thermals are dragging down, you still got a ton of elevation on the deer that are below you. So it seems like it's that's a really good bulletproof stand. Like I can hunt that four or five, six times and have deer walk by and no I never have to walk onto the funnel. Yep. Works out good. Yeah, you gotta love it when you find those spots. That's what's that's what the uh the hours and hours and hours of scouting is. Yeah. And sitting there not quite the right tree and having yep. a deer come through and booger you and then oh I just need to move if I could go like a hundred yards down the mountain or around the side of the hill, then I get a little bit better wind current. You know, it's it's just, you got to hunt a spot. I always said you got to hunt a mountain like three or four years before you really start to figure it out. Yeah, I've heard and that. And then once you hunt it three or four years, you, you really start to get the bugs worked out of it, and then yep. you really start killing the deer on it, you know. That's, that's what I've noticed, and that's when it gets really fun. And then it's time to go learn another one because then you've got that one figured out, and now yep. you just got to wait until there's a giant there. Yep. then you can kill him and then you know figure out five or six of those mountains that's the whole plan that's what i've been trying to do in mass is figure out five or six good mountains and then when there's a giant on one of those mountains he's in big trouble yeah you know then i can then i can kill him so. yeah obviously it's mainly cameras you're um discovering these these spots with but you know you do a little bit of shed hunting yeah now in the big woods, does that that can't tell you much about a spot because Well the 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 shed hunting you're not gonna find where I'm hunting, most of my deer all migrate. So I'm not finding sheds where I'm gonna kill the deer. Right. But the cool thing is is having, you know, running trail cameras, I like to just get an inventory of what there are for deer around and I'm trying to find a particular size buck to kill. I'd really like to shoot something four or five years old plus. And I'm trying to find the biggest set of antlers I can find on the mountain, really. But uh, but it's fun to have pictures of a buck, even if he's two and a half, three and a half years old, and then find his sheds four miles away. And it's like, oh, well, I know where he hangs out in October. And if you can keep track of that buck, you know, he you found his shed, so he's obviously not dead. Yep. If he's a three-year-old buck and he's 100-inch eight or 110-inch eight, whatever, who knows what he's going to be at four well, you've got that deer, you know where he's going to be in October. You know where his fall range is. So even though you're finding his sheds, the sheds are just, uh, I just like it as confirmation that he's alive. And now I, if, yep. I, if I happen to have a picture of him, boy, now I can go back and try to find him. Or better yet, I find sheds off of a, a, a big buck, and I'm like, well, where does that deer live? And then I can start looking at different mountains three, four, five miles away from there that I may have never hunted before and I can go search those mountains and maybe I'll find that buck. Maybe I'll find another one even bigger, but it gives me, it kind of fuels my fire to go find that buck that I found the sheds from. Yeah, so, for sure. And I'll, I'll split my time between spring scouting and shed hunting. Cause they're usually two different, totally different things. When I go shed hunting, I'm going to where the deer are wintered. Uh, they may migrate four, they may migrate 10 miles to where they're going to winter, but they seem to go, keep going south until they hit the big rivers and they like to, they like to winter on those south facing side hills. 
So I'll spend a lot of time shed hunting, and then I'll also go into my areas that I hunt in the fall and do spring scouting. I'm not expecting to find a shed in there because those deer aren't even in there after December. Seems like by, by the end of December in a lot of my areas, there's a ton of snow and the deer are gone. They, they, they know where they need to be for the winter. So once it gets to be, you know, the end of December, those deer are all down where they're going to be shedding their antlers. We've got up to a foot, two, three feet of snow sometimes. Well, the good thing is, is all that snow, all it does is just protect all that sign that they laid in October, November. Then you can go back in there and you can try to figure out what you didn't know the year before. You can walk right into areas that you suspect are bedding areas and you can find beds you can find rubs, scrapes. You can put together a lot of the pieces of the puzzle because there's no foliage. You can see you can see the lay of the land. Everything's laid out like a book. You know, you just got to know how to read it. You know. And yep. I have I have figured out more deer in the spring, and then put that into practice in the fall and killed those bucks first two or three times I hunt them. And a lot of it's because of you know, going in there and saying, oh, this is where those deer were bedded. I was thinking the bedding area was over here. And, or you could be like, wow, look at this, this finger ridge that comes down. I never even knew this was over here. It's covered in scrapes, big rubs. And man, you put a camera on that, that next year and look, wow, that's where that buck is walking in daylight. I'm only getting a picture of him once a week. He's walking here every day. This is how he comes up there to bed. And it's just putting those, and, and putting those pieces of the puzzle together and, even if you kill that buck, the next time there's a big buck in there, he's going to be doing the similar stuff. They, there's a yeah. reason that buck's doing that. That's that's allowing him to live four, five, six. Yep. It works. That's a, that's a good system. Buck habitats, buck habitats. Yeah, he's they figured out how to. It. Yeah, he's figured out how to use that lay of the land, and he's not going to be the only one to figure it out. All the other bucks that come into there are going to figure it out yep. if they get some age on them. So it's, uh, and that's the fun part for me. I figure something out like that in the spring and I'm amped all summer to get back in there and hunt. Yeah. It's like, you know, you, you, you figured it out. It's like the light bulb come on. It's like, I can't wait to try to kill that buck this fall. Yep. And then you found his sheds, you know, he's still alive. It's, 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 that's how it all comes together for me. So your big wood spots, as far as, um, bow hunting, how many days will you devote? to a spot because you can't go in there one day oh i didn't see anything and then leave because it's so they make such a big they have such a big territory it might take three days yeah usually two or three usually two or three days are what i would give it yeah and i would like i I, i'm really picky on my days because some of the stands are a mile and a half in there yeah so you got to fully prepare you know, walking, I want my teeth to be chattering when I leave this, the truck two hours exactly. before daylight. You know, I, I got to be walking in there ice cold so I don't sweat up because I'm a skinny guy. I, f- I freeze mm-hmm. if I'm sitting on the stand, if it's, if it's cold. You. Pre-rut is nice because it, that's another reason I like it is because it's not 10 degrees, but it can be. Yeah. But you got to prepare to walk in there and not get sweated up or if you do get sweated up, you stop two or 300 yards shy of the stand and you, you put on new base layers, everything. So I don't freeze. So you're dry. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I'll bring a, a big Ziploc or a, or a garbage bag and put all my sweaty clothes right in it, stuff it under a stump or something, you know, where there's no deer, you know, where I don't think the deer are going to walk and I'll pick it up on my way out of the woods. 
it's just a different to, to go into a stand when it's that far. I want the weather to be good. I want to have the right wind. I want it to be cold. I'll, I'll pick and choose my days and do quality over quantity. Yep. And a lot of times that'll pan out way better. Um, if you can go in there and hunt, you're hunting on a mediocre day with a, you know, with light and variable winds are the worst thing you could possibly hear on the, on the forecast. You know, yep. I want 10, 15 mile per hour winds. They're consistent. You can count on them even in mountainous terrain, you know, but I, it seems like if you have that 15 mile per hour wind, 10, 15, then you can count on it. If it's light and variable, that's when you get the, the wind will stop and it'll, it'll actually pull back and your thermals get all messed up and everything. So I really pick and choose my days and it, you know, sometimes you, you can't be too picky because it's, you'll get a warm streak where it's six, seven days and it's prime to be in there to kill that deer. You just got to figure out, either take a stand in with you and try to figure it out when you get in there. You got to get risky at some point, but I hate pushing the envelope when it's still early. Like before yeah. that November 10th, it, you can push the envelope, but it's just like, man, I've got so many good, I've got good bucks in there. I, I know how those deer, I know I can kill him. I just need the right day to do it. So you got you to gotta ask yourself how many spots you got to burn. That's why I do a ton of scouting. Because if you can find five or six mountains that are good, that you have good bucks on, well, you can. Af- which one could I afford to burn out? I'm gonna go. In- I'm gonna go risky on that buck. I think. I think I can kill that buck, and then I'll, I'll partic- I'll, I'll find a particular one, and I'll, you know, if I spook him, then, eh, well, I'll, I'll hunt that mountain yep. back during the rut when the rut's really cranking, because there's different deer coming in there all the time. Yep. But during the pre-rut, when I'm trying to kill a particular deer. That's tough because they still got their guard up. Yeah, at least somewhat. Yeah, I mean, but it's a it's the best still... time to kill a particular one. I think that last part of yeah. October, for me, anyways, it is. Yeah, it's something that. This is my, eleventh season, and uh, that's been kind of my, I guess demise. Like my cameras kill a lot of big deer. Yeah. There's no scent, no movement. Nothing. I just don't. Yeah. I don't ever see him. And it's, <laughs> you know, learning all this stuff because I never thought about, I thought about it, but I, it was too complicated, like thermals. And I was just like, yeah, I should be good. Yeah. You know, I kill a deer or two every year, but you know, spikes and does and yeah, um, stuff like that. But something this year, I've, I've only hunted three days and normally it's. As soon as the season opens, it's every day after work and Yeah. But I haven't found anything that's like really getting me excited. Yeah. So I've just you know, I've kind of been staying out. It's been warm. Yeah. You know, as we're recording this, it's the end of September and it's just been warm. Yeah. Like today was in the or close to eighty, if it didn't break eighty. And it's just it's too warm. So yeah. I've been scouting and biding my time and trying to figure out where the sign is. I haven't found any luck finding any, but I think that's the the ticket to not, you know, yeah, getting it, burned out is yeah, absolutely. You gotta. I, I the the older I've gotten and the more I've, the more deer that I've killed and it, it, I'm firm believer in quality over quantity when it comes to sits. Yeah, for but, sure. But you gotta balance that. You gotta have some areas that if you want to hunt. 
you can go hunt and it doesn't really matter if you booger the deer up you know that's why yeah, go you, try to kill a doe yeah or, or or another buck that you know about that's maybe not high priority on the list but you know there's a good one on that hill you know you you've either got sheds from him or you've got pictures of him or you just there's unbelievable sign there perfect example would be is if if it's a new mountain you just found if it's a new spot that you just started hunting and you're not sure what's there for deer or whatever who cares if you what yeah. what happens the only way you're two years from learning the spot anyway yeah, the only way you're gonna learn how to hunt the only way you get better is by the only way i have is by screwing up yep it, the, the only way you can get better is by making mistakes so the spots that you've got learned and you know save those for when you get the perfect days go in there and hunt the you know be risky on the new spots that you've just found or or a new buck or you know, if you, if you screw it up, then you've, you know, you're just going to learn something by messing up. You know, if you don't learn something every time you make a mistake, then, then that mistake was just made pointlessly. But if you can make a mistake and then you can sit back and just be like, okay, this is what I did wrong. And, and just analyze it. You know, that's, that's why I don't get a lot of sleep during deer season. (laughs) It's kind of usually (laughs) analyzing any mistake I make, but, but it's, uh, that's that's for me that's my mindset on it if i just found the spot and it's a new buck and i had this first year i've ever hunted him or whatever i may be way more aggressive on that deer than tried and true my really good confident pre-rut rut funnels and and prime scrapes that i know i can kill deer on i'm going to be super selective when i hunt those but my new spots to learn them i plan on making mistakes and that's that's one way to that's one way to go about it you know once you once you learn a couple spots that's save them you know as you ace up your sleeve and then when the weather's you want to hunt but the weather's not good go be risky at on those new spots you know yeah because it's exciting it's a new spot and you absolutely yeah you know it and, and it may pay it may pay off you know you may you, go in there be a super risky move move right in there super tight to that bedding area with a with an iffy wind you know it's kind of a light and variable wind but you know those thermals are going to drag off in the afternoon get in there late you know so you got thermals that it's it's that last three hours of daylight get in there so you're right at that last three hours so you know you got thermals working for you i've had that pay off you know it but but you may spook him but yep but it doesn't matter you haven't burned out your best spots you know those best spots you know you're going to get a good day the very end of October, first five days of November, you know you're going to get that perfect day to go set that primary scrape, and that buck's going to come through because it's going to be a it's going to be a good day. You've 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 picked the right wind. It's cold, barometric pressure's up. He's going to move. You're going to shoot him. That's that's and it's worked out that way a bunch. So, yeah, and you've run cameras in the snow. How many deer tracks go behind? Oh, the camera misses a ton. Yeah. Yeah. You can't count on that camera telling you what every buck that's on that mountain. It's just a tool. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah it's just, it's just a, a tool for me to try to find a buck that I want to hunt. I mean, yep. there can be some huge, inventory. There can be some huge sign in there and everything, but it, it may just be a, you know, it may not be a deer that's got very much an- for antler on his head, you know, and there could be media, like the biggest typical that I've ever hunted in the state of Massachusetts, that deer left very little sign. He, he, he only made a couple scrapes that I ever found. 
And all the rubs that I found that he made were like four or five signpost rubs on the top of this one ridge. But he would work those signpost rubs. But if I didn't put a camera on those signpost rubs, I would have never known that there was a Boone and Crockett typical in that piece of woods. I would have just assumed there was, you know, some good, but I mean, the incentive to hunt that deer once I saw him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was incredible. So you, you know, sleep in your stand it's an hour and 20 minute drive, <laughs> hour and 30 minute drive to get to the spot to hunt. You know, it's like that, that, that made me get up and hunt that deer. You know, it didn't kill him, but to know I'm hunting a buck that big, man, that's, yeah. That's motivation to stay. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. And you're, you know, yeah. bored. I mean, it made me, it made me put hundreds and hundreds of miles in looking for his sheds that I never found. I mean, the deer looked like he had a rib cage on his head. He was just, he was huge. I don't, I mean, I don't know how big he was, but he was 170 plus. But it's like, you'd have never known that deer was that big because there wasn't, I, I've hunted spots where there's way more sign than that. The bucks have got it all torn up. There isn't a deer in there over 120 inches. Yep. But there was a world-class deer on that mountain and I had a ton yep. of pictures of him. But. You know. Well, that's just kids versus adults yeah you know the two-year-old bucks they're kids they're, yeah absolutely i'm gonna yeah. rub every tree and yeah i'm gonna chase all these does around the first week in november and then you know come the 15th whoa yeah oh there he is yeah yeah okay. absolutely yeah we'll stay here's your doe buddy <laughs> sorry yeah <laughs> and and that that's another thing about where i hunt in mass is a lot of deer don't have big feet like some of these right. deer are their antler score is more than their body weight yep and so, you know, you can see tracks in the, you can look at a, a scrape and there's a buck track in the scrape and you're like, ah, oh, that's a, that's 140, 155 pound deer. You know, he could be 140, 155 inches as well. And yep. five years old, you know, they just don't have a big body. You know, those, that's, that's another thing. Cameras tell you that, you know, so. I think mass might be one of the most underrated states for, for bow hunting, it's for, big, for me. It's I, I like it because I deer. I live right on the border, so I like it because Vermont is only a one buck state. Yep. So I'm I'm waiting for snow in Vermont, ninety nine percent of the time. I get snow on the ground. I know where there's some good bucks. I'm gonna go find a buck and track him. But for uh, for pre rut, you know, New Jersey public land is phenomenal. Uh, actually, some of my best bow bucks have been shot in Jersey on public land, and that's the same thing. There's phenomenal security cover down there and tons of food big oak ridges soybean fields down by the rivers and this is all public ground anybody can hike it and uh big steep ridges you can get away from people there's not that many people that are willing to walk a half mile from the road especially if it's steep and uh which to us that's like nothing it's just part of the course that's that's where those are the spots i'm looking for yeah you know uh so it's, it's, there's big bucks to be shot everywhere. It's just having the right timing. Now Vermont has a good timing to their season. You can hunt right into the pre-rut before. I think we were the only state in the country that was hunting white-tailed deer <laughs> that you couldn't hunt deer from the last week in October to the first eight or nine, 10 days of November. They got to figure it out. It was just absolutely insane. I'm just like, there's no deer season in Vermont during the best time to kill a good buck. They're starting to. <laughs> but now you can. They're starting to, and they need to just to admit it. Yeah. They need to adopt New Hampshire's laws. Yeah. Let yeah. bow season run the entire season. No blackout dates. Yep. 
not closed on youth weekend. None of the, yeah. And I'm all for youth hunting. I'm all for it. But like, if you want to go try to kill yeah. a deer with a stick and a string, you should be allowed to go do so. And you need time. You need yeah. time. You need time for it to happen. You know, when you got such a short season. Vermont, if a state's changing their laws every year, yeah. How long has it been? I asked Timmy this question. How long has it been since New Hampshire's changed their season? He's like, I don't know. Been that way. Been most, that, been most that of way my forever. Life. Yeah. And been they have way. a way better buck to doe ratio. They, yeah. you know, it's they're shooting Boone and Crockett deer there every year. Look at Neil's. Yeah, yeah. Neil shot a 192 inch deer in yeah. Southern New Hampshire. I yeah. mean, that's a, and that deer was old. Yeah, he was that big for a while. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like it's not like all of a sudden he just blew up one year. Yeah. That, uh, so it's, in it's, Vermont, and I understand Northern Vermont because of what happened in the 80s when they introduced they got doe it's, hunting and, yeah. and and. and like the oh, Benoit said, the the hills just ran red. They just slaughtered all the does. And big then, time, yeah. But Southern Vermont, I mean, it's really no excuse. It's and getting like, a lot better. It is. I mean, it's it's it's. I think real, the spike horn law helped. Yeah, um, I think I think Vermont's in in my lifetime, it's definitely the best it's ever been right now as far as finding bucks to hunt. Uh, the past two bow seasons are the first bow seasons that I've actually you know seen multiple bucks during bow season and you know the the deer numbers aren't that high but we've got good feed and i didn't find any winter kill deer this year which is you know we've had some easy winters yeah we've had some good winters so we've got oaks with the acorn crop and apple crop that we got this year there's more food than there are deer to eat it that's for sure now we just need a couple of light winters yep uh there's turkeys everywhere they're like the plague right now uh but, uh, but yeah, Southern Vermont has acorns. That's, that's what, I think that's the main reason why we shoot bigger antler deer in the Southern part. And they got really good logging up in the Northern part. They shoot heavier body deer. Of course, the further North you go, the bigger the bodies get. Right. Naturally. But, uh, yeah, but my- Vermont is basically two totally different zones. The Northern is totally different than the Southern, you know, so. Yeah. My first, the first buck I, shot tracking was in the northeast kingdom yeah two-year-old 163 pounds yeah it's crazy yeah. he had a big foot on him yeah. I, i'd have thought he was 180 yeah but uh he was just a squirrely little five point and to be quite honest when he was i jumped him and he was tearing across the woods and i shot i was like i hope that wasn't a spike yeah <laughs> i mean he had like nothing on his head yeah but he ended up he was a five-pointer but then i've shot five-year-old bucks down here that are 165 and that's yeah. as heavy as they're going to be. Yep. You know, it's just that's that's just as big of a deer as they're going to be. It's hard to shoot a two hundred pounder in the southern part. They're rare. I mean, they're they're here, but they're super rare. I, I'd I'd be surprised if there was, you know, if you took all of southern Vermont, say like from Rutland down. Yeah. I'd be surprised if there was like half a dozen. Yeah, they're they're rare. I don't know. I don't know how many. There's probably a lot there. in the one eighty range there's a lot in that 160 to 185 yeah that's that's a good buck in the southern part for body weight yeah most of my big ones have been right at 170 yep yeah you shoot one over 180 pounds that's a yeah yeah that's you did good yeah that's a heavy deer for down here yep no question about it now if you shoot one that's 180 pounds thanksgiving day 
He was a 200-pounder. There was your 200-pounder. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, especially in October, especially right now. Yeah. End of September, early October, he was probably 210, 215. Yep. He was a heavy deer. Um, I mean, I shot a buck last year in Massachusetts, and it was was December 15th. I shot him with a shotgun, and that deer was – he was like a 120-inch eight-pointer, really good, mature buck, heavy, heavy antlers. But he would be hard pressed to weigh 135 pounds. Yeah, he was he was skin and bones. He was run down from the rut. Those deer on that really steep terrain, man, they're they're going up and down hills. They're burning, they're burning so many calories. They're just you know that's why it's so easy during the rut to kill them in funnels, in saddles. Those deer are, are running those ridges so hard. The steeper the terrain, the easier it is to kill them deer. I think. Because they, they use every advantage they can to move around those mountains. Because they're burning so many calories. They got to use every saddle. They got to use the lay of the land to move around easier. That's why I really like hunting that steep terrain. Yeah. A, I don't have the hunters. I don't see anybody. If I'm in the steeper, the steeper terrain, whether it be Vermont, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New Jersey, the steeper the better. You don't see, you don't see the hunters. And I can predict how the deer are moving around that mountain a lot easier. So I think that helps a lot. When you're in farm country and everything's kind of rolling and flat, those deer can kind of mill about, and you you need a major terrain feature to kind of funnel them. And uh, with the mountains on that steep terrain, boy, you can find a lot better terrain features in a lot of different spots. You know, you can find them right on a map and then walk right in there. Boom, yep, that's that's look at the deer coming through here. Yep. So you're hunting that like kind of upper third. Yeah. You're not yeah. on the ridge top. No, cause... upper third, like right, right about a quarter, a third of the way down. Like this magic funnel that I have that I've killed, I've killed four really good bucks in this one funnel, all within 200 yard spot. And th- three of them have been out of a stand and one of them was tracking. And I actually tracked him right through that funnel. That's kind of how I found it. And tracked him right around. I shot him in his bed where, where all the deer bed on the end of that knob. It's really shelves out and it's all plateaus and, and hemlocks and ledgy and really thick mountain laurel and stuff. I, I caught him in his bed right on, on the end of that ridge. But uh, that really steep stuff like that, man, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful bench about a third of the way down the hill. And the bench flows all the way around the hill for about a quarter of a mile and it goes right into the bedding area. And if you look at that bench on a topo map, you can follow the contour line from that bench. The bench kind of peters out and stops, but it's still a side hill. You can follow that contour line for like a half a mile, and it goes through the biggest saddle in that entire ridge. And the bottom of that saddle is the exact same contour on a map as that bench. So those bucks are coming from the backside of that mountain, come through that saddle. They don't have to lose or gain any altitude. And they come right along that whole side hill of oak. And it's all wide open oaks. It's like the, the deer are using that all during, that's all nighttime. You know, it's tons yep. of acorns, but that's all food area. But a buck can come through that saddle. When, he's, when he gets all the way through the saddle and he spills on that side of the mountain, he can stay at that same contour, work all the way around that side hill and scent check that whole side hill, gets to that bench, and it's littered with scrapes. Follows that scrape line all the way right into the bedding area. Boom, there are all the does. So it's like that's why everything lays out. And from finding that spot, 
I've looked for that same feature whenever I'm looking at different mountains. I'll look, you know, find a big saddle, find a bench, find the bedding area, and then try to figure out how it all connects. And now, do you want to be the first one, like you in there, like middle of September, like mock scrapes? Yeah, I went in there before I went to Colorado. Yep. I went in there August 25th, and I've already, I, I opened up a scrape and and I put a cell camera on it. There have been bucks working that scrape four or five at a time just about every day since I opened up that scrape. Even right now. This morning, there was an eight-pointer in that scrape an hour after daylight in the morning. And this is mass. This is mass. Yep. Yep. If it was New Hampshire, you're like, damn it. If it was New Hampshire, mm-hmm. that deer would have been dead this morning because yep. I'd have been there. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just not hunting New Hampshire this year. I'll, I'm yep. going to gun hunt New Hampshire. My plan is to to hunt Vermont during October, guide a moose hunter, the the rifle season, moose season. Yep. And then I'm going down, I'm going to bow hunt Mass and bow hunt public land, New Jersey. And after I get done bow hunting and it's around Thanksgiving, I'm going to chase the snow. Yep. I'm going to go to either the Adirondacks, if they got snow, I'm going to go to Maine. They will, they get that lake effect. Yeah. They'll probably have snow in October. Yeah, I'm either going to go to the Adirondacks or I'm going to go to New Hampshire or I'm going to go to Maine. Where, or all three if I got time. I don't know. We'll see. That's why I've, I've, I've been on Timmy. I just want to chase the snow around I'm and like, go dude, shoot, a, shoot like, a strange buck. I'm like, know? dude, we have to consider the Adirondacks because... It's on the bucket list. I got to kill an Adirondack buck. Well, I haven't yet. But it, So this year's kind of squirrely. I'm, I'm going to be able to get probably some, like, you know, say a, a storm hits on a Wednesday up near his camp. I'll probably be able to get the time off from work. Yeah. But it's like, if a Friday night storm hits the Adirondacks, like, let's go. Yeah. Let's make two films. Yeah. Like, why? And you're just like, <laughs> sure. Like, he's not, because they're not, they're not what he wants. Yeah. He wants those 230 yeah, the, pounders. The 200 I, pounders, I there's some that. there, but that rugged country, there's a payout. You know, it, yeah. with that rugged country comes deer that are leaner. You know, they're yep. just, they're not going to be that heavyweight clear cut but it's an adventure and like absolutely yeah to me see i'm worried about my shot right yeah he's worried about his yeah to me it's all about age and antlers i the the body weight is just the you know it's just you know whatever that's what he weighs to me i mean i love shooting a a, i haven't shot very many bucks in that 190 pound range 200 pounds even is the biggest one i've ever put on a scale yeah i've shot some that i'm i'm assuming were heavier but I never put them on a scale. I shot them in Ohio or whatever and got back home and it was like two weeks after they were dead and they weighed 190 something, you know, I don't know that deer weighed 200 and some odd running around. I don't know. But, uh, most of my bucks have been in the Southern part of the States and they're in that, you know, 160 to 180 pound range. Yep. But, uh, but a five-year-old buck plus a five-plus-year-old buck is a five-plus-year-old buck. I don't. I don't. Doesn't care. matter what he weighs. He's a he's a genius at surviving. So they they got some age on him, man. I like him. That's that's what I like. Yep. So that's what I'm all about. And tracking deer in the snow is the most exciting way to kill a whitetail. I mean, to oh, me, for sure. It's it's for sure. Doesn't even compare to anything else. It's nonstop action. Yeah. All it's, day. It's, it's an, no boredom. You're living the entire story and it's like playing out in front of you, you know, the whole day 
whether you kill that buck or not, you got yep. one hell of a story at the end of the day to talk about. You sit in a tree stand for three days in a row <laughs> during the rut and you don't see to, anything, but then all of a sudden you, you kill a giant. You're done. You know, you kill a giant on that third day. Well, you've got a very boring story all the way up until where you kill that giant. Yep. And then it's 40 seconds of sheer, you know, adrenaline through the roof, you know, blasting out the top of your head. You know, it's like... Right. But with tracking a buck, you're excited from the moment you find that track on. That's what I like about it. You know, so that's why that's why I like to leave my Vermont tag for when I get snow because I can go whenever I want. When I get if I get snow, boom, I'm not working that day. Yeah, I'm going and finding a buck track and I'm hunting him. I can. So it's uh, that's why I like to leave that tag. I'd hate to be stuck in my state of Vermont and have to go work when there's six inches of fresh snow on the ground because I don't have a buck tag. So it's like I'll bow hunt a little bit, but I'm not shooting a buck with a bow in Vermont unless he's a dandy. You know, he'd have to be a really big one. Right. That's kind of what Hal says about Bear Ground. He's like, because they only use get it one for, buck tag. Yeah, use it for scouting. He's like, I wouldn't even shoot one on Bear Ground <laughs> unless it was a monster. Yeah, it would have to be a I'd dandy. rather save it for snow. Yeah. But, you know, he's kind of landlocked yeah like we have the luxury of hunting multiple states that yeah. aren't far away absolutely you yeah. know you live in jackman it's like you, you want get a long drive canada yeah. yeah you know yeah yeah you're stuck in maine yeah you hunt rangely yeah now you can go hunt new hampshire yeah all right let's switch gears a little here and talk some some gear so uh you're a hoyt guy Oh, I'm actually shooting a prime this year. Or you were a Hoyt, yeah, Hoyt guy. Yeah, I was. I did shoot Hoyt for quite a while. Uh, you know, every company's making really good bows now. Uh, but I started shooting a, a prime this year. Still shooting Easton arrows and everything. Um, I always was a, a pretty hardcore fixed blade guy. But I started shooting a sever broadhead, which is a mechanical, but it pivots. It's a two blade, and it pivots around bone and everything. And I've killed a couple elk with them and phenomenal penetration. Uh, so I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm still shooting a heavy arrow, whatever. I, I, I like a 500 grain finished arrow with good front of center. Uh, makes my bow quieter and everything. But yep. um, I go back and forth between shooting a fixed blade and a, and a mechanical. But the only mechanical I like is that sever. It's got really heavy duty blades and it pivots. And I mean, I shot an elk frontal head on right right in the front of the chest right in that thoracic opening i went right up to the fletch and that elk was like dead in five seconds i mean and i, and I shot another elk two years How ago far? it's like 20 yards yeah that's about as far as i would take a frontal you know 20 yard and in that must have been exciting 20 Wait, yards yeah i came in screaming walked around a, i was all full drawn he walked around a blowdown and, and that i mean you shoot him frontal and you go in that thoracic opening they're they're alive under 10 seconds it's like all they can they don't even get out of sight it's it's a deadly shot but i shot an elk two years ago at like 47 yards broadside and just zipped right through him like it wasn't even there and that was with a two inch that two inch mechanical a lot of that can be contributed to shooting a heavy heavy arrow setup whatever but um but i like a beefy setup because well, especially hunting whitetails, if you're calling to them, a lot of times they're going to come in quartered towards, or they, I, I want to be able to shoot a whitetail at any angle. 
doesn't matter. If a big buck comes, I, I grunt to him or rattle to him or he's chasing a doe in, he stops there hard quartered on. I know I want to pound right down through that shoulder. I can. So I'm shooting 70 pounds and a heavy arrow. Um, and it seemed to work really good. Uh, other than that, like, uh, when it's, when it gets to be that pre rut time, there's, there's some things that I definitely want to have in my gear bag that I don't, don't go in the woods without. I like to have two grunt calls. I like to have one that's a really loud, I like that Primo's uh, buck roar, and it's got that that tube at the top you can do the snort wheeze through. Yep. I like that one if it's windy days and I really need to get a deer's attention. You know, I like to have that loud grunt call, but man, if it's still like first thing in the morning and there's not a lot of breeze or in the afternoon and it's just before dark and it's real quiet, that that grunt call will overpower a deer at like even 70, 80 yards. It's just really loud. So I'll have like a true talker, real subtle. That's a, that real soft rubber call. And I can tone that way down. I can do a real soft tending grunt with that. And, uh, you know, calls are key. And I, th- I think calling too much, sometimes they can pinpoint exactly where you're at in the stand, you know, so call it, being able to call just loud enough so they can hear you is, is key to, you know, helping you out quite a bit. And, What's a good rule of thumb of like when to start? Is that like first, I don't call first cold front in late October or how do you how see? Do you I don't do a lot that? of I don't do a lot of blind calling at all. I okay. won't call I, I won't blind call very much at all until it gets to be man until it gets to be right into the rut. I may do some rattling, blind calling and stuff like that. But I like to call to a deer when I can see him. Okay, because I want to be able to see how they're reacting to that call. And if I grunt to a buck and he snaps his head up and he's looking my direction, I'm not calling again because that's when they can really pinpoint exactly where you're at. Wait till he starts to walk again, then grunt to him again. You know, it, if, if you're just blind calling, there could be a buck just out of sight and he's standing there listening. He's, gonna, he's listening he's to the running. whole thing going on and he knows exactly where you're at when he walks in. He like knows exactly where that call was coming from. So you can overcall and it can screw you up. But, uh, but one important thing I have in it during that pre-rut time is a set of rattling antlers. Like, even if you don't use them, there there are a couple bucks that I can think of, but one in particular just a few years ago that I dif- would not have killed without antlers. It, there's no question in my mind. It was a super cold morning. It was November 13th, and it was 13 degrees. I remember it was the same temperature as the date. <laughs> and uh, that was bib-type weather. So I, I've got bibs and a heavy jacket and stuff. I go in, dress really light, and I get I get all the stuff on. You know, you get dressed at the base of the tree, get up. I'm freezing. And it gets to be about 9 o'clock in the morning. And it is pretty calm that day, but the woods is like cornflake leaves. Well, I can hear a deer walking for five minutes before I can see him. And I'm just like, I know that's a buck. He's just trudging, not, not even stopping. Crunch, 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 crunch. And you could hear him coming. Finally, I saw him, and it was a really nice 10-point, um, probably mid to upper 120s. And he was cruising. And I was grunting to him on that, on that grunt call and snort wheezing at him. He couldn't hear it over the leaves. Well, he's just about ready to walk up the mountain. He's like 100 yards. Couldn't hear the grunt call. So he's just about ready to start up into a clear cut, and that clear cut is nasty. 
eight, nine years old, and it's all slashed. That's where he was, he was going in there to check for does is what he yep. was doing. And there was a lot, it was when I was hunting that huge typical, and there was a line of signpost rubs coming right out of the corner of that clear cut going right by the stand. And I'm surprised he wasn't walking that that run that went up by all those signpost rubs. But he was just cutting across the top of the He was just walking from bed and area to bed and area. He didn't really care what was in between. He was just covering ground. He had freshly broken tines and everything. He was he had a particular attitude about him. And uh, he wouldn't hear the grunt call. So I hung the bow back up. I reached down. I grabbed my rattling antlers just as he started into that cut and clashed the antlers together and rattled for about five six seconds and i stopped and when i stopped rattling i couldn't hear him walking anymore i'm like he's standing right there listening so i hung that hung the antlers back up and i snort wheezed at him that deer just you could just hear him in the leaves spin on a dime grunted and sounded like a dirt bike and he's come right (laughs) down out of that cut and i was like there i got his attention now but you never got his attention without those rattling antlers you know and uh, he, he came out of that clear cut, and I remember he had his ears slicked right back and hair bristled right up. As soon as he got to that first signpost rub out of that cut, he just dove right into it head first. And he's just raking that signpost rub, raking it, raking it, raking it. And he'd stopped. He stopped hooking the tree for a minute, stopped making all that noise. And I grunted to him again. He just whipped his head right off of that signpost rub and chugged right down that scrape line, that rub line, and I shot him at 20 yards. So it's just like, it's magic when it all comes together with calls. It's just knowing when to be loud and when, you know, without those antlers, I'd have just listened to that deer walk right out of my life. Right. But I was able to get his attention with the, the, the rattling antlers, and then he was listening. And then once I had his attention and he was listening, man, those mature bucks, if you grunts, if you snort wheeze to them, I've had some of the best reactions with a snort wheeze. And, uh, I mean, that's what killed that deer. No question about it. Yeah, and that's that time of year. Yeah, yeah. He, that was what Where he was wanting like, to hear. He was either wanting to go in there and find a doe that was coming in, or he wanted the fight. I mean, when I found that deer at the end of the blood trail, he was he had freshly broken tines. I mean, he had one one tine that he'd broken like an inch or two off of the G three, and I was just like, I bet it's right by that signpost rub because he crashed into that so hard. I looked around that rub for. 20 minutes thinking that was where the end of that time was going to be. But I bet he, I bet he broke it fighting. He just had the attitude to fight. I mean, he came out of that clear cut and his ears were all just slicked back and his hair was on end. He was just angry. It cost him, you know, you just caught him in the right attitude, you know? And, uh, it's a good time, man. When all that comes together. Yeah, for sure. I look forward to some of those days. Yeah, absolutely. It's just it's just putting in the I put in so much time scouting. I I I have always stuck to the uh the saying that I put in 80% of my time scouting, 20% hunting when it comes to when you're trying to kill a deer out of a stand. Scouting's fun. Yeah. Hunting for, for bo- me it is. Hunting's boring. Yeah. <laughs> well, the the scouting makes be. the hunting intense, but I I I choose when I when I'm trying to kill a deer out of a stand, I choose quality over quantity. And, I, and it's really starting to pan out yep. over the past five years. And, uh, yeah, not you know, bounce with, around with, so with much. snow, you know, you got to hunt when there's snow when you're trying to track a deer. Yeah. You got to hunt when there's snow, whether it's crunchy, whether it's, whether it's wet and, and 
makes a lot of noise, whether it's perfect powder, whether there's no wind, whether there's a ton of wind, you gotta, you gotta hunt when there's snow. But when you're trying to kill them out of a stand, I really pick and choose my days with the particular deer. But, um, other than that, I don't really, I mean, calls are number one thing I wouldn't go in the woods without no question about it. I try to walk to my stand without a light. That's another thing. Oh, if I do, it'll be like a green or a red light. I hate shining a light around in the woods, uh, walking to or from the stand. I just don't think, I mean, I've walked right by deer without a light on in the dark and heard them spook and they only spook and go just a little ways and they don't, they don't really freak out. Like I'd much rather spook a deer when it's completely dark than during the day. So, and I think it spooks them a lot less when you don't have a light on. I, I mean, it might not, it, it might just, it, that's just my opinion. Um, but having a good backpack for me to be able to do those sits where I'm, where I'm hiking in a long ways to the stand, you got to have a backpack. You can put all your clothes on. Yep. So you using one of your elk packs? Cause I, I, I recent, will, I recently got the, uh, mystery ranch, the pop-up 38. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm using for saddle hunting. Cause yep. I put my sticks underneath it and I put my platform in um, behind the pack frame and yeah i got all my it's actually it's th- it's a 38 and it ain't big enough for all my camera gear oh camera gear is crazy yeah you gotta and, have another backpack entirely yeah i'm learning that, that. I, I i have a uh an old um i get it's it's a belt pack but i think i'm gonna put it on where it like frontwards yep and i'm gonna keep all my camera gear in that and then that'll just be a separate rope i haul it up in the saddle with yeah because it i i'm like this will work fine now but what happens when i need to haul in clothes yeah it works good and in, in warm weather you're you can get away with a lot more but when when it gets to be november and the end of november getting into that thanksgiving week and yep. it's below 30 degrees when it's below 30 i you if i'm gonna camera, sit there yeah if i'm gonna sit there head, for camera Man, I need I need bibs if I'm going to sit there for more than five six hours. Yep. And that Thanksgiving week, that's the colder it is, those are the days you want to be sitting. Those funnels, you know, you're going to have that buck cruising through at noon, one o'clock, and you're going to and I and I cannot walk in there at like eight o'clock in the morning and get in a stand. I I got to get in there before daylight. It's just feel I I just feel like I'm deer hunting. Right. But you know, I have had it happen a lot during the rut where I'm just like, you know what? I could probably just sleep in and take my time and get up onto these ridges. These, these bucks are moving from nine 30 to two. It's like, that's the magic time. I don't have yep. to get up at three in the morning and drive down there and then hike an hour and a half in the dark and get in that stand and freeze until that sun comes up. But I think it's all, it's all party paying your dues. What's going to happen is you don't do it one day and there's, you're going to go check that camera and there's a monster came through, you know, 20 minutes after daylight and you weren't there and you're yep. going to, then you're going to feel guilty for sleeping in. Or you uh, kill one at 1130 and you go, the plan worked. Yeah, absolutely. It could happen. Yeah. You know, but I'll save that for when I'm running late. Yeah. You know, if I'm yep. running late, I just feel guilty going in late. So I want to get in there early and just put my time in. Cause that's, that's all that's paid off for me. It's just, is, it's just working hard at it. You know, in the spring, it's, I don't know how many hundreds of miles I walk in the spring and I'll go back and forth from shed hunting to spring scouting. Cause they're usually in two different, two different mind frames, you know? Yeah. You got to slow down to shed hunt. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm in a totally different area. 
I'm not where I'm yeah, hunting. True. You yeah. know, the, the deer are my, they're totally in a migrated spot for, for shed hunting. Now where, cause I've, I've found a few sheds and it weren't by looking for them. Yeah. Um, actually I found a match set, probably a hundred and 15 inch eight. Yep. Um, riding my dirt bike. No kidding. On my buddy's farm. I, uh, we were in this old pasture and we were doing wheelies up this hill and I turned around and I just right where I turned around, I almost stepped on it cause you put your foot out, you know? Yeah. I was like, huh? So I picked <laughs> it up and I held it up to them and they're like, what? So parked the bike and we all looked 50 yards. There was the other one. Yeah. There's the other one. Yeah. Yep. Cool. But, uh, I mean, so, you got some deer that shed early. I mean, yeah, uh, there's some deer that shed in December. So in all reality, you could find a shed, where you can kill some of them deer, but in these big woods deer, a lot of them are migrating miles before they before they drop their antlers. So you looking for certain elevation, or you looking for south and east facing slopes? Yep, I and that a, a lot, lot of times they'll migrate south until they hit the first big river. And okay, they they love to winter, you know, on south or east facing slopes facing a river, and oak, you know, they, yep. they want to be in there eating acorns. And, uh, it's good to have thermal cover. It's good to have a little bit of, a little bit of hemlocks mixed in, you know, they, they need some thermal cover. And, uh, I find the bulk of my, you know, I was talking with a buddy of mine, uh, Brandon this spring about finding sheds and there's a lot of country that, that is perfect. That fits the bill, you know, Southeast facing slopes covered in Oak. You can walk in there and there's acorns all over the ground. There just weren't any deer in there. And then you can walk two or three ridges over, get into a whole nother basin, and boom, there's 50 deer in there. And it's like, well, why didn't they like the other one? I don't know. But the one key element that I found with finding good sheds is there's water there also. There's running water coming off those side hills. And I don't know if they're at the point of where they're open all winter long, but, I mean, one, one morning this, this spring— I was in a deer yard and I found seven fresh antlers that one morning. And every one of them, I could hear water running from where I found the shed. And it was a little spring that's always, always open, flowing down. I think those bucks are just, they're always bedding right by that water. They're feeding, they're getting water. Even in the winter, they need water. So, oh, yeah. So you need all the elements on that side hill to really make it a good wintering side hill. And, uh, and the good thing is, is once you find one that you can go back there year after year after year, that's where those deer winter. And I mean, I can, I can walk into some of those yards every year and I know there's going to be 50 to 60 deer in some of those yards and it's just full of deer. That there are deer there that have come 10 miles to winter there. So there's a lot of sheds you find that you'll never figure out where that buck is. Right. But the cool part is, is you'll find, I've found sheds off of bucks two, three years in a row. And I never figured out where the hell he lived in the fall. But it's like, wherever he lives, man, there is no one hunting there. Or he has really figured out, you know, and that's that's what keeps me looking. Because I'm like, man, if I could ever find the spot that that buck is living, that's, that's another gold mine. Like, you could kill a good buck there every year or two, three, four years. Sometimes you find a good spot like that. You'll kill a good buck there like every three or four years because it takes three or four years for there to be a good one there. But when there is a good one there, you've got it figured out. So that's the good part about finding sheds is it keeps me looking and 
<clears throat> keeps me knowing that there's other big bucks out there and there's other pieces of the mountain that I've never explored. Right. Other mountains, you know, that, wow, there's a, like there's a particular eight pointer I'm going to try to kill this year. I've got two sets of antlers from him and I could not find his set from this year. And I know he's alive. He didn't, I, I didn't hear of him getting killed with a shotgun or a muzzleloader, but I've found his antlers on that same mountain for two years in a row. And I had pictures of him alive this past November, all the way into Christmas. I had pictures of him. So I'm hoping that deer turns up. If he died somewhere, then I didn't find his body. Or if somebody shot him, I didn't hear about it, but he was a hundred and upper one thirties, eight pointer. So I'm assuming I'd have heard about it. But the other thing you got to factor in is I've put all those miles into sh looking for sheds, but if both of those sheds are laying right next to each other, right. I could have walked 15 yards from them and yep. never found them. So it's like, you can't say that you've covered that mountain looking for sheds. You never do. It's, it's, it's it'd a real, take you, it'd take you all year. It's a long odds thing. Like uh, that, well, it's, it, I'll be in there looking for sheds and I found all those sheds. I found like 18 sheds on one mountain this year. I went back in there turkey hunting, and I mean, I have been all, if you looked at my Onyx map, it looks like you threw a handful of spaghetti on the map, because <laughs> like, I record all my tracks, Yeah. and then when I go back into shed hunt, I just make sure I don't walk where I've already walked, but I can walk close to it, just to, just to make sure I cover it, and I'll mark where I find every shed and stuff, so it, it helps me systematically kind of tear that whole hillside apart, and then I'll erase my tracks at the end of shed season. Well, I still had all the tracks in there, and I'm in there during turkey season, and I'm hiking that ridge, getting to the top to, to hike out into some maples to see if I can hear a bird. And I'm just, as I'm walking through there, I'm like, oh, I haven't walked this little section over here. It's all pines. But it's, you know, I tried to stay in all the oaks or whatever. I walked through there, boom, there's a big four-point shed, and I don't have the match to it. So I'm just hmm. like, not only did I find one that I didn't find when I was walking hundreds of miles, hundreds of miles, you know, Every day I was up in there walking 10, 12 miles a day that I had the chance every weekend. I found that shed. I don't have the other side to it either. So I'm just like, well, there's, you know, there's, I don't, I don't know how many sides I got that I never matched up. So it's like you yeah. walk by tons of sheds, but it's fun. It's, it's my funnest thing to, I, I'd almost rather find a pile of sheds and shoot a turkey in the spring. So it's, uh, it's cool to be the so first. You can do both. Yeah, you can do both. Absolutely. But, but shed go. hunting is fun. It just, it puts another, it's a whole nother, it's, if you find, I, the way I look at it, if you find a match set to a big buck, that's second to killing him. You got his antlers and he's still alive. Yep. And he's going to have a bigger set this year. So now go kill him. And then you've got two sets of antlers. It's pretty cool. So it's, uh, yeah, I can't wait to put all that spring scouting to work this fall. You know, I mean, I've got so many hours into scouting. Yeah. I'm just really confident. I'm just going to pick my days to hunt and find the right wet, the right weather, the right wind. I've got my stand sites all situated. I've got, I'm going to go in super light, hang and hunt. That's the way I like to do it. And uh, just so be super selective. You looking for, um, you say picking the right, uh, well, wind, wind is wind, but the right weather. Are you looking for? a specific temperature or a significant drop? Like say it was a high of 65 for a week and now it's going to be a high of 45. Like, yeah. Zip. If I see a, if I see a drastic change in the weather towards cold from hot to cold, it's, it's 
go time. Yeah. That late October, like. Yeah, it's you're. It's gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah. That'll get him on his feet. And it, and and I'll have three or four different spots in mind, and I'll look and I'll just be like, oh, it's a straight west wind. All right, this mountain works out best for the west wind. I'd really like to hunt this buck, but man, I kind of need I kind of need a north wind. Or if it's going to be real, you know, I know the thermals, it's going to be warming up during the day. I'll go hunt that spot where I get the thermals that drag my scent up the hill by nine o'clock. You know, I, I'll have all these spots kind of figured out and I can, I'll know by what weather's coming up, what spot's going to be the, where I'm going to have the edge. Cause I need to have an edge. If you don't, if you don't have an advantage when you go in there to hunt them, it's your, your handicap right off the start. So I have all these spots scouted out, but I also try to figure out what do I need to have happen to have my best odds of killing one in here? So that's, that's another element to figuring out. Yeah. But in the spring, when I'm in there spring scout and I'm prepping all those trees, I'll carry climbing sticks with me and I'll climb up there and I'll get my spot situated. So when I walk in there, I've got the tree all punched in on Onyx. I can walk right to that tree and I know I got all my limbs cleared. I can get up there to that, whatever height I need to be at. I'll make a mark on the tree with my saw or something. So I know what height I need to get at, and I know I've got shooting lanes right to that scrape. I can do it all in the dark, and and do it super efficiently. So it's just getting everything. I, I like to have all my ducks in a row, and uh, be as prepared as I possibly can be, and then I'm just picking my right time to to strike, you know, to try to get in there. And uh, it's worked out pretty decent, but. Like we were talking about before, the only way you learn is by screwing up. And yep. I am by no means done making mistakes. <laughs> no one is, you know, and it's, it's, yeah. The more mountains that I find, the more, the more spots I find, the more mistakes you're going to make to learn them. But that's the name of the game is learning Part of the it. journey. Yeah. It's so much fun. So. All right, bud. Well, I think we'll wrap it up. Yeah. Um, good talking to you and. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, yeah, we'll be chatting during the season, anyhow. Yep. Hopefully, hopefully. you call me to help you drag one out. Yeah. <laughs> I need a. I was talking to. I. Uh, I put a camera on this this signpost. That it's way. It's it's like an hour walk. In, into the middle of some uh, state forest. I didn't happen to like think, you know, because I have a jet sled. Yeah. I don't have a game cart. I never even thought of a game cart and. Uh, I was talking with Neil and I was like, dude, I think I'm going to have to like, if I shoot him here, I'm going to have to like literally call the game warden <laughs> and have him like come in with a four wheeler. Cause like I can't drag, like it'll rip the jet. So he's like, get a game cart. I was like, Oh yeah. You can do a Forgot game, those existed. You can do a game <laughs> cart and another, another tactic I got from a buddy of mine that lives over at the other end of the state. He used to hunt Maine quite a bit. He shot multiple bucks over 200 and he's like 145 pounds soaking wet. Yep. Uh, you know, he shoots those bucks tracking them or whatever. He carries a small block and tackle with him. And he'll shoot a buck and he'll hang it in a tree. And he can get it get its head four feet off the ground. Of course, he takes off like a t-shirt or yeah, rips off a chunk your, of his yeah. underwear or something and hangs yeah. it on the antler. <laughs> so coyotes won't touch it. But coyotes don't want to touch anything that's hanging like that they're scared to death of stuff that's hanging up in the air but if it's laying on the laying on the ground they're going to eat it but if it's that's foreign it's totally unnatural to them so there's a company right in new hampshire 
It's called Nifty Lift. And I bought a tiny little block and tackle. I can put it in the pocket of my pack and I can lift 900 pounds with the thing. I think the guy built it. He was a snowmobiler and he built it to help get snowmobiles unstuck when yep. he got them stuck because he was always frustrated with pulling snowmobiles out of the, and he never even thought of the hunting application of it. But my buddy, you know, I couldn't find a small block and tackle anywhere. And this one's got a lock on it and everything. Huh. So he'll shoot a big buck and then he hangs it in a tree. And then he just walks, he just leaves, punches it in on his GPS, leaves, takes all of his, you know, his rifle, all of his gear back. And then he calls me. And then I go back in and help him drag it the next day. <laughs> That's his plan lately. Uh, but that is a good way if you're shooting deer way back in, that are, you know, especially if you shoot one in the afternoon. It's like yeah. a lot of those spots that I'm hunting, I don't have any cell service. And, you know, I, if I shoot a buck and I'm there dragging it until midnight, you know, the wife's going to have a search party out for me trying to figure out where I am and I can't right. call anybody. But if I could shoot a buck and then winch him right up into a tree, get him three, four feet off the ground, mark it, carry my stand, all my gear out, don't get blood all over me, any, you know, carry all my warm clothes if it's November, carry all that stuff out, walk back in in jeans and a shirt the next day and take your time, drag him out in the daylight, and then you don't get a stick in your eye. Right. That's a pretty, it's a pretty cool product that I got. So, uh, but it's made right in New Hampshire. It's a nice local made thing. But that block and tackle idea, hanging the deer and then going back in, dragging them out the next yep. day is awesome. That yeah, works, on bare ground. Works really find good. Find someone with a game cart. And, yeah, take a, then you got time. Yeah. You can get a game cart. You can, you can reassess the area, look at it on a map. Oh, if I come in from this other road, don't worry about where your truck is then. Right. Just get out of there. Come back the next day, park in a different location. Yeah, you're hiking all uphill to the deer, but then you're dragging the deer all downhill. You know, you can find better ways to get the deer out. and That works out really good because deer drag super hard on bare ground. That's why I love tracking deer because yeah. you shoot them on snow, man. They drag nice. Snow plus jet, <laughs> snow plus jet sled equals oh, it's crazy. heaven. It's, yeah, absolutely. But. So, yeah, that's another piece of gear that I carry with me is that, that small block and tackle, though. That's really important. But yeah, hopefully get to put that to use. It's gonna be soon, man. It's, it's already here. So. It's dude. It's September flew by. I oh, it's crazy. Yeah, I can't even believe how it doesn't feel like it because it's like eighty out. But yeah, um, yeah. Next, there's there's some highs in the upper sixties and lows in the forties in the forecast. It's it's coming. Yeah. Yeah, I'm wrapping up all my work right now, and then uh, then I'm guiding that moose hunter, and then it's then it's the game face is on. Then I'm then I'm hunting. So I'll uh, I'll hunt a little bit early early October, but mainly I'm just getting everything prepared and getting all my all my clients happy so I can take off for a couple weeks and not have to worry about the phone. Yep, that's that's what I need to do. So. Uh, all right dude yeah man Good talking with you absolutely see ya hey thanks for tuning in to this week's episode make sure and come back and join us every other monday with a brand new episode if you're listening on spotify or apple make sure and leave a review and you can find me on youtube at northeast hunt and film once again thanks for listening <laughs>